0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: And good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled to have you with us. And first and foremost, uh, our uh, our thoughts and our prayers. You know, that's something that gets criticized. You know, people say, oh, thoughts and prayers. Well... You know what? Prayers work, and 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 kind thoughts and sympathies are important. And thoughts and prayers, with no apologies, uh, to the folks in uh, Whiteland and down into Sullivan County and anywhere other uh, locations uh, were here in Indiana who got hit by these storms last night. I just saw Angela Goodnote, uh, my friend from Fox 59, posted some drone photos on her Twitter. Uh, just in the last couple of minutes, and uh, there's just some real devastation in White London down into Sullivan County. Uh, some homes that were completely destroyed, and uh, and a lot of other damage as well. So we are thinking about you. Reach out to us here at WIBC. I saw Tony Katz post something. I saw Hammer and Nigel post something, and they both said something very similar. They said let you know what is what, what you need, uh, and what we we can do to help. And, uh, and we'll make it happen. Uh, so do that, uh, whether it's uh, contacting me on social media. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Guy Relford. Uh, give me give me a like or a follow or whatever that terminology is while you're on there, if you wouldn't mind. i got to get my Twitter numbers up. They are uh, embarrassingly low. Uh, or Facebook or whatever medium uh, you'd like to contact us. You just let us know because uh, we'd like to help here at WIBC, and I'm sure you'll be he- hearing more about that. Um, in the meantime, also, I, on a much less serious note, uh, I, I owe a bit of an apology to a number of folks on uh, social media because I, 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 am, I, I am pretty much historically a, uh, an April 1 prankster, uh, April Fool's prankster. I, I tend to try to find something that sounds serious, uh, not too serious, uh, not anything that's going to hurt any feelings or anything, but that I can I can say with a straight face or I can uh, type out on social media in a way that has some credibility um, that's just uh, completely false and, and, and thereby get a few chuckles on, on April Fool's Day, which today is. So trust no one. For the rest of the day, you're coming to the end of the day, you may be safe so far, but trust no one when it's April Fool's because somebody will get you. Well, I put out uh, a, uh, Facebook, uh, post. I did not put it on my Twitter. Um, I, I didn't, I thought it might circulate a little too broadly and a little too quickly if I put it on Twitter, but I, I put out a post that said, uh, said something along the lines of, please tune in to the gun guy show, uh, here, uh, this evening because it's our last one. And, um, uh, and uh, I've you know enjoyed my time uh, all eight years, almost nine. This summer it will uh, be nine years, but I said I I, I enjoyed all my time and uh, really ex- appreciated the support and and the listening audience. But all things good, all good things have to come to an end, and that was entirely, completely, absolutely, one hundred percent an April Fool's joke. Uh, and uh, and and. And uh, and I hope people saw the humor in it. But I've, I got a little, I got a little, uh, I, I got a little, felt a little guilty, actually, as I'm going through the comments. Because I'd say it's about 50-50. About 50-50 people were going through the comments. Again, this is on my Facebook, my personal Facebook. I didn't even want to put it on my official uh, WIBC gun guy page uh, for fear. Again, people would take it too seriously. But it's about 50-50 with people taking it seriously and people saying, ah, you can't get me. I know it's April Fool's. Uh, but but some people said some really sweet things and said, you know, they appreciated, you know, the work I've done here and the work I've done in the legislature. And anyway, people said nice, supportive, uh, sweet uh, things that meant a lot to me. And then I started feeling guilty because I was just the jerk who was playing a, a April Fool's joke. But is that absolutely April Fool's? Uh, if you hear somebody say, hey, you don't need to tune in. From five to seven on Saturdays anymore because the gun guy show's going away. Not that I know of. I mean, hey, look, you know, I'm I'm an employee at will. I'm I'm about one uh, bad word or or poorly phrased sentence away from getting fired. Anyway, as we all uh, are here in broadcast media. Uh, but as far as I know, I'm not going anywhere. And so, please uh, uh, try to uh, uh, quell that rumor. <laughs> If you see it propagated uh, a rumor that I started myself, I, I can just see now that the uh, leadership at uh, Radio Radio Now uh, will, 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 will bring me in and, and say, wow, guy, we don't know. But af- after your April one show, nobody tuned in on Saturdays anymore. <laughs> so we're canceling your show because your ratings just went into the toilet. Um, I I will have only myself to blame because uh, I'm the one that announced on on, as an April Fool's joke that I'm going away. But anyway, enough of that. Uh, Let's get into the uh, serious topics for this evening. Um, You know, we we had uh, a school shooting in Nashville and I, I I've talked about it on hammer Nigel, Uh, Tony Katz and I were scheduled to to talk about it as well. Um, and, 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 and there's a, a lot of things to talk about but you know i put out a, a a sincere facebook post where i'm reacting to some of the things i'm seeing and and listen listen after every uh, mass shooting certainly school shooting what do we get we get the same activists and the same politicians who come out it's as predictable as the sun coming up in the east people come out and say aha we have to pass legislation. We need new laws. We need common sense gun control. You know, the, the Republicans in the US Congress have blood on their hands, and the NRA is to blame. And gun rights advocates, and you can certainly put me in that category. I started a gun rights advocacy group right here in Indiana, the Two Way Project. I am a, a proud, and active, and aggressive Second Amendment activist. But they're blaming folks like me, the NRA, Republican lawmakers, because we either resist, or with respect to lawmakers, they have not passed. Gun control, what they always term common sense gun regulation, or gun safety regulation, that's my favorite. Gun safety regulation, meaning we're going to curtail the Second Amendment rights, of law-abiding citizens, and that's going to translate into gun safety. But I put out kind of a long post, and I just pulled out some examples, but I was talking about when you hear this, because they literally say, when I say they, I'm talking about whether it's President Biden, or liberal politicians in Congress, or the gun control advocates, the anti-Second Amendment groups like Moms Demand Action and otherwise, they they, they uniformly, they come out in an absolutely solidified voice. And they say, we can prevent school shootings or we can prevent mass shootings in general. Prevent is the word they use. If we just pass common-sense gun control, is that true? Can we pass a couple of laws... And let's deal with them specifically. They say universal background checks would prevent mass shootings. Prevent. As in, we won't have them anymore. If we just pass an assault weapons ban, most of them can't tell you what a quote-unquote assault weapon is because it's a made-up political term meant to demonize the most commonly owned and used rifles in America. But okay. Most of them can't tell you what one is or define it, but they know we need to ban it. And if we just do that, we will prevent mass shootings. Because if there are no more assault weapons, they will simply stop. If there are universal background checks, they will simply stop. Or how about red flag laws? We need to pass common sense gun regulation, gun safety regulation in their words, like red flag laws, and we won't have any more mass shootings. Are any of those things true? Are they true? Well, let's look at history. Do you know that Connecticut had an assault weapons ban on the books, fully enforceable, for 18 years prior to the Sandy Hook Hook school shooting? They passed their common-sense gun regulation. Well, we won't have any more school shootings if we just pass an assault weapons ban. Really? They had one on the books for 18 years. It wasn't like it had just gone into effect. Hadn't really had any time to have any influence on crime or on mass shootings or school shootings in particular. No, it had been on the books for 18 years. And Sandy Hook still happened. In fact, the worst school shooting in history, in the history of this country, was at Virginia Tech. 32 people were killed. Well, we can prevent school shootings like Virginia Tech if we just pass an assault ban, really? Because Virginia Tech, that shooting, was committed with two handguns. Two handguns. Well, but we need these things in combination. We need universal background checks and an assault weapons ban. That'll have a huge influence. Really? Well, California's had universal background checks since 1991. And they've had an assault weapon ban, get this, since 1989. 1989. 1989. What were you doing in 1989? Damn long time ago. Yet the state of California experienced 44 mass shootings, quote-unquote, as defined by the gun control advocates, 44, between 2013 and 2021. And they've had two high-profile mass shootings just in the last few months. Well, it's red flag laws. That's what we need. We need red flag laws, really. Indiana, right here in Indiana, we were the second state in the country to adopt a red flag law. Second one in the country. Because we had a beloved Indianapolis Police Department officer, Jake Laird, just before IMPD, when it was just IPD. And Officer Laird was killed by a guy with a history of mental problems. And when he took his medication, he was a paranoid schizophrenic. When he took his medication, he was okay. When he didn't take his medication, he was dangerous. And he ended up not taking his medication, murdering his mother, going out into the street, shooting a SKS rifle into the air, shooting up cars. Officers responded on near southeast side, as I recall. Officer Jake Laird was one of the people who heroically responded, engaged the shooter, and Officer Laird was killed. And Indiana looked at that and said, well, we need a way to take guns away from people who are dangerous and keep them away from people who are dangerous. So we passed a red flag law in 2005, almost 20 years ago. Yet we had our own mass shooting right here in 2021 at the FedEx facility. Why? Because Marion County Prosecutor Ryan Mears didn't pursue a red flag case after police responded to this person's residence took a shotgun away from him, and took a report after the mom and the sister of the shooter walked into a police substation. And said, this guy's dangerous. Prosecutors didn't pursue the case. So we had a mass shooting after this person should have been red flagged. So let me tell you this. Newsflash. Here's what we can conclude from all these facts. Criminals in general and homicidal psychopaths in particular, do not follow the law. As much of a revelation as that might be to some folks, they simply don't. And the laws you have on the books, even when they're well-meaning, although perhaps not perfectly crafted, are only as good as public officials' willingness to enforce them. And you combine the fact that we have imperfect enforcement of the existing laws we have, The thousands or tens of thousands of gun laws that are on the books all across this country, at the state, local, and federal level. We have imperfect, flawed enforcement of existing laws. And then we have criminals who, by definition, don't follow the law. When you hear a politician or an activist say, we simply need to enact common-sense gun regulation and we'll prevent these shootings, throw some of those facts at them and see if you get anything other than a blank stare. Because logic is simply not on their side. History is simply not on their side. But we have to persevere, and we have to be vocal, and we have to be loud. And we have to contact our elected officials, because the voices on their side are already loud and consistent and aggressive, saying this is your fault for not passing gun control legislation, that we're having shootings like what happened in Nashville. No, hell no. History makes that a lie. And with that, I've gone well over the quarter hour, so we're taking a break. We'll be back, and we're going to be taking your calls throughout this show, by the way. 317 239 9393. That's 317 239 9393. And by the way, if you want to call and yell at me because you fell from my April Fool's joke, then I, I will take that, not because I deserve it. In the meantime,
0: we're whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Taking a break, this is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC.
2: Second to none on the Second Amendment. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC.
1: And welcome back. I'm Guy Ralford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. By the way, you can watch uh, a video broadcast to The Gun Guy Show uh, on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and just search for 93 WIBC and then click on The Gun Guy Show, you'll have it. And it's also, I believe, a link on WIBC's Facebook page. So you can do that. You can leave comments. In fact, there are a couple of great comments I just got on the YouTube feed that I'm actually going to respond to this segment. But you can also uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at Guy Relford. Give me a follow, I believe, is the correct term. I'm trying to get my Twitter numbers up. And I've been more active on Twitter lately. I've decided uh, there are enough positive changes in that platform with the change in ownership that I'm going to start using Twitter quite a bit more. So if you don't mind, go on Twitter. It's just Guy A. Relford. No, it's just Guy Relford. And uh, and do that as well. In the meantime, and by the way, uh, one of the, the folks watching the YouTube feed uh, says, uh, it sounds like he's a, a police officer. He says, uh, why is my AR-15 an assault weapon when it's possessed by a civilian, but if I take it to work, it magically becomes a patrol carbine? Isn't that true? Isn't that true? When, when the uh, I believe it was the ATF put out a uh, a bid request where they wanted to buy uh, was this ATF? Uh, it's been far enough back. It may not have been that agency, but one of the law enforcement agencies at the federal level put out a bid request where they wanted to buy like twenty five hundred, and they called them personal defense rifles. <laughs> And you know what they were? We wanted to buy AR-15s. But oh no, <laughs> when the government owns them, then they're personal defense rifles. But you or I, a law-abiding citizen, wants to possess the same gun? It's an assault weapon. And back to the the comment I got on YouTube, which is a great one. It, it, it a great example of exactly what you're talking about in terms of the complete unfairness in the portrayal of these firearms by politicians and the media in general. When the media reported on the Nashville shooting that I was just talking about, where the shooter, a trans female, am I using that term correctly? She's a biological female uh, that had decided to, I don't know, dress and and act as a male. I don't know. Not my issue. But she had... An AR-15, from the pictures that I saw, she also had a uh, Kel-Tec uh, Sub-2000, I believe was the model. It was a 9mm carbine. So it's a rifle-length firearm, but only shoots at 9mm, just like a common handgun does. With a longer barrel, you get marginally increased muzzle velocity, but it's still a 9mm. And the pictures I saw of her going through the hallways of the school, that was the weapon she was carrying. So I don't know, I'm not going to speculate uh, as uh, as what was used during her homicidal rampage uh, that breaks, breaks all of our hearts. But it was nine millimeter. And then she had a handgun. But when the press reported, she said, well, she had assault weapons. And then it reported that, Law enforcement officers who arrived on the scene, who heroically, and by the way, I can't say enough good things about Nashville Metro. Nashville Metropolitan Police Department showed up and they came open for business. This is the, the video, that the, the, the body cam video that came out, and there were like three different body cam videos that were released. This is textbook. Listen, I've taken a bunch of training courses where we clear rooms or clear buildings This was textbook. And they were moving fast. They had a mission. They had one goal, and that was to protect lives. That was to find the shooter and put him or her down to end the threat and save lives. And they moved. Man, they were fast. They went door to door, room to room, but they were moving. They were hustling. There's a big guy out front that looked to me, dark beard, looked to me like he had a shotgun. And he was... He was on a mission. And you could tell. And then they heard shots from upstairs. Man, no hesitation. They found that shooter, and boom, it was over. And listen, I don't celebrate any loss of life, but at the same time, when someone trying to commit a mass shooting meets their just reward in the form of lethal force by a law-abiding private citizen like my client, Eli Dickiner or in this case by the Nashville Metro Police Department. The fact that innocent people's lives were saved, I'll celebrate that all day long. And, and I hope the Uvalde Police Department, I hope every single one of those police officers, and most importantly the commanders, who gave the orders to stand around for over an hour, over an hour, as they're getting cell phone calls from kids in the room saying he's shooting us. Please help come in now. For every one of them that stood around in a hallway, I hope that someone locks them in a room. Whether they're still in the force or retired, I hope somebody rounds them up, locks them in a room, and makes them watch the body cam from Nashville on on a loop on an endless loop for about 48 hours straight. Man, bring them bread and water and make them watch that video and say this is how law enforcement is trained. This is how law enforcement responds and should respond to a mass shooting event, particularly in a school. You find the threat, you end the threat. No hesitation do not pass go. Do not collect $100. You find the threat, you end the threat, you save lives. That's exactly what happened in Nashville. But in the meantime, back to my original point, the shooter had assault weapons, and the police had long guns. <laughs> please, please, you don't think we see that? I don't, we don't, we don't think we see through the silly game. My defense rifle is exactly what it is. That's what I choose to have. That's what the Second Amendment provides me. That Second Amendment protects. And that's not going away anytime soon. In the meantime, we're a little past the bottom of the hour. It's time to take a break. Give us a call. We've got some people on hold. I'll be going to the phone lines next and answering your questions or taking your comments. 317-239-9393. Give us a call and join the Gun Guy Show. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93WIBC. No matter-
2: The show about gun rights, gun safety, and responsible gun ownership. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIPC.
1: And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIPC. During the break, I was looking at the comments uh, on my Facebook post, which again, folks, April Fool's joke. I said this was our last Gun Guy Show, and it's been a pleasure, and I've enjoyed it. Uh, but the show ends after night as an April Fool's show. Not going anywhere. Not that I know of. But the comments—I got to tell you—I'm feeling tremendously guilty here because an awful lot of people left really sweet comments, just saying that they enjoyed the show and uh, and 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 other supportive, nice things. And and uh, I'm feeling guilty now. Nothing like being a a jerk and and uh, fooling people and having them respond with kindness and support, so that makes uh, that makes me a jerk. But uh, in the meantime, I hope people saw the humor in it. And uh, and please, if you hear it, no, oh, yeah, the Gun Guy Show's over. No, please, it's not. It was uh, it was all April Fools. Uh, in the meantime, uh, as I mentioned before, but let's go to the phone lines. We've had some folks who called in and have been on hold for quite a while. Uh, and we got Paul. Paul, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. What do you got for us?
3: hey i uh first of all, I wanted to tell you thanks for taking care of the guy in the greenwood park mall <clears throat> shooting sure. Yeah, absolutely i mean that's just that's just awesome that guy had to save some lives you bet and uh on the guy on the circle <laughs> you know that's pretty funny, but Nashville, you're all over it there I mean those cops. Going in and taking care of that place, that was awesome, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen the video, but I heard the the recording, and man, you couldn't have done a better job, and thank God they did what they did and uh, took care of that. but yeah, I agree,
1: Paul, I think you I had, had a, a you had a question. I really appreciate your comments by the way, but I think you told uh, my producer you had a particular uh, question about registration,
3: Yes, because I have a gun. But a friend of mine, my, my friend and mentor for years, uh, he used to be a uh, Marion County Special Deputy, and he had a thirty eight and he died about 13 years ago, and he wanted me to have that gun because his wife didn't want it in the house. Uh-huh. So now I have it. Now, what do I got to do with
1: that? Okay, nothing. Um, We don't have gun registration in Indiana. There's no gun registration at the federal level. Um, So unless you have some reason to believe it's stolen, which coming from the person it came from, uh, I wouldn't think that would be even a smallest of concerns. Um, There's nothing. You can possess any firearm that you lawfully own. You lawfully own it if you're not a prohibited possessor and the gun's not stolen or doesn't have an obliterated Uh, serial number or something along those lines so um, there's nothing you need to do I get that question all the time but we don't have gun registration in Indiana and we don't have it at the federal level so there's nothing you need to do let's go back to the phone lines and Annie has called Annie I'm so glad you called welcome to the gun guy show
4: hi guy Uh, I have a serious question that only you can answer for me about Eli Dickin but I just wanted to say about 10 days ago I was listening to WIBC News and I heard that Eli Dickens had been voted the Indiana Citizen of the Year award, and I stood up and said yes <laughs> and I, I heard on Monday I tuned in ten minutes late to at th- about three forty uh on hammer and Nigel. I just heard you say that you had been to the awards, you were the present, but if you could tell us about that, but first, if you can answer my question last year when this happened, I was pretty sure I heard. That Eli Dickon had just started packing after you had just a month or two before you and others, thank the Lord, had just gotten uh, constitutional carry passed. And previous to that, Eli Dickon did not have a permit to carry, and he was just carrying that day at Greenwood Mall because of you and others that had gotten constitutional carry passed. Is that true?
1: Yeah, Annie, and, and no. And, by the way, I, I, I appreciate all your your kind comments and your support. Mm-hmm. That, <clears throat> that means a lot to me. Um, but, no, Eli uh, was not carrying just because we passed constitutional carry. Uh, the, the chief down there, James Eisen, who, by the way, I think was a complete rock star throughout the whole investigation, throughout um, the whole process involving Eli Dicken uh, that police chief has certainly earned my respect and support, and I think did a fabulous job. But he at first uh, received some bad information, I think from the state police, um, who reported that Eli did not have a license. And then Chief Eisen, understandably, given the information he'd been given, said that's okay because he was lawfully carrying under constitutional carry. So through really no one's fault, um, it got reported that Eli didn't have a license. It turns out after the fact, after we saw those news reports, and, you know, um, as his lawyer, I was talking to Eli and not to reveal any attorney-client communication, but it turned out that, lo and behold, he certainly did have a license. And I actually put out a public statement on social media, on my Twitter, uh, Guy Relford, and, and, uh, and on, on Facebook, my law office page. And said no, and I've even posted a redacted copy. I took his address and whatnot off, um, and said he did have a license. So, so no, that that is not true. Uh, as much as I'd love to take credit for him carrying that day, um, and him carrying through constitutional carry, um, I can't I can't say that uh, because it wouldn't be factual. Um, and the other uh, thing you mentioned is Eli actually got the Greenwood Citizen of the Year award, not Indiana. Um, he got uh, the Greenwood Citizen of the Year award. Uh, Chief Eisen was there. Uh, I posted a picture. I, I was thrilled. Eli invited me uh, as his friend and his lawyer, um, and it, which meant a ton to me. I mean, I couldn't believe he, you know, that he he reached out and wanted me to be there. It was just really his family and me, and uh, and, and and his girlfriend, and uh, and I loved being there. But it was Greenwood. Now between me and you, and for those public officials out there in the governor's office. I couldn't think of a more deserving person to receive the Sagamore of the Wabash. If you're not familiar with that award, it's really the highest award given to a private citizen uh, by the governor's office uh, with the support of the legislature. And uh, I think uh, they ought to be looking hard at Eli Dickin uh, as the next recipient of a Sag- Sagamore of the Wabash. I wish I had one, <laughs> but but I, I can tell you that Eli has saved a hell of a lot more lives um, than I have, and uh, he, he saved countless lives. Uh, right there in the Greenwood Park Mall, and uh, that's why he deserves that, and I hope they're looking at that. I'll tell you what, we're at the three-quarter hour. Uh, Buzz is still on the line. Uh, We'll go back to the phone lines we come back. Other people are calling in as we speak, Uh, so give us a call. I love taking the calls, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93WIBC.
2: Your rights, your responsibilities, your guns. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIBC.
1: And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And as I mentioned, we had uh, Buzz on the line, frequent caller. Buzz, welcome back to The Gun Guy Show, man. Hey, good
3: afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure.
1: Uh okay, did you see that they have
3: made changes to the forty 44- four
1: now you're breaking up a little bit did you say the forty four seventy three the a t f form and you're buying a gun well
3: they no they uh have made changes on that form they've added a few more questions and they're they they're getting out of hand
1: yeah, okay, Buzz. Uh, No, I I don't believe um, that they've uh, made any significant changes in in the 4473 recently. Now, the ATF just changed a number of forms. Um, The Form 1 to register, I guess, a short-barreled rifle or or a suppressor uh, that you've made, uh, or other NFA item, a a Form 4 to transfer an NFA item. And a few others, they, but all they did was they changed the mailing address. If you're mailing in supporting documents or if you're filing those in paper to begin with, they've changed the mailing addresses. So people need to be aware of that. The 4473, the last change that I saw, is where they, uh, the question about being uh, a user of or addicted to any illegal drugs, they added uh, a uh, kind of a, a, a line below that that said, by the way, this includes marijuana. In those states where marijuana has been legalized, or even if you have a, uh, a, a medical marijuana card, uh, they're making it clear to you that marijuana is still illegal at the federal level. So you uh, cannot possess a firearm or buy a firearm if you're a user of or addicted to marijuana, um, according to the feds. So I'll leave that discussion right there. Anybody has any questions about that, you're welcome to call. But and Buzz, I may have missed it. It may have there may have been some other change in the 4473, and you may be right. Uh, but if so, uh, I'm not aware of that. Um, let's go back to the phone lines, and uh, I'll tell you what Kelly and Avon has called. But Kelly, well, let's 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 pick you up after the first of the hour, if you don't mind, so we don't have. A heck of a lot of time here in this segment. Uh, Rich is called in. Rich, you got a question, buddy?
3: Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, I have a question about what are the rules for carrying in a semi-truck, and then if I was to get pulled over, what do I tell the cop? Like, Yeah. Um...
1: Well, yeah, it's a great question, Rich. And I'll tell you what, I've gotten this question a few times over the years, and I've had a number of people tell me, that there's some kind of Department of Transportation regulation that says you can't carry a firearm in a commercial vehicle like a semi uh, or any vehicle you need a CDL for that you can't carry a firearm in that. I have looked for and I have never found that regulation. I am convinced the regulation does not exist. I don't think there's any different rule for carrying in your semi. Now, if, if you're not an owner-operator, if you're working with, for someone else, they can have a rule that says you can't have a gun in their vehicle while you're doing your job. And that is something we have certain protections for employees in Indiana when it comes to gun rights, but that's not one of them. So an employer can say, you can't have a gun in my truck while you're doing your job. But that's between you and your employer. It's not doesn't make it a crime. It just means you can get disciplined or fired um, if you're violating that rule, like any other uh, rule of your employment. Um, In addition, your question, what do I need to do if I get pulled over? In Indiana, realizing if you're driving a semi, you're likely driving uh, cross-country at some point. But within Indiana, because these laws change dramatically, they vary dramatically from state to state. In Indiana, there's no duty to disclose that there's a gun in the car when you get pulled over to a law enforcement officer. It's up to you. Now, what I've typically done since I've had a license to carry for a long time I'll just take my license to carry and put it right on top of my my driver's license my proof of insurance my registration and I just hand all that to the officer at the same time I don't even mention a gun I just hand them my license to carry to me that's a non-threatening way of uh, letting the officer know that I have a gun in the car um, you know without having to blurt out I've got a gun you know or something silly that may send the wrong impression to the officer. Um, but there's no duty to disclose. That's up to you. The officer can ask you any weapons or other contraband in the vehicle, and, and they can ask you that question. The, Supreme Court, of the Indiana, uh, Supreme, Supreme Court of the United States, I should say, says you don't have to answer that question and that your refusal or failure to respond to that question doesn't create any reasonable suspicion uh, or probable cause uh, as to any further investigation. Now, is that the way that's going to unfold Maybe or maybe not. That's not a battle you win on the side of the road. But that's how those rules work, Rich. But I have not found, and if somebody wants to call and correct me, I'd take the call in a heartbeat. I've never found a law that says you can't have a gun in a commercial vehicle. In the meantime, we're coming up on the top of the hour. We're taking a break. We'll be back for hour number two in just a bit. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
2: Now, you've got a gun guy. Guy Relford on 93 WIBC.
1: And yeah, welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy show here on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. As I got into last week, there's a proposed constitutional amendment that uh, is being discussed and voted upon in the Indiana General Assembly. And this is seeking to uh, create an amendment to the Indiana Constitution, something that, that hasn't done very frequently, although... The last time it was done was really only a few years ago, and we added a constitutional amendment that actually protects uh, the right to hunt and fish in Indiana as, uh, as a constitutional freedom, really part of the uh, Bill of Rights, quote-unquote, of the Indiana Constitution. But now there's a proposed resolution. Um, and by the way, I had uh, Professor John Hill from the IU McKinney uh, school of Law, where uh, I went to school, and of which I am a proud alumnus. Uh, I graduated long before Professor Hill uh, started uh, teaching there, but he's a professor of constitutional law, and we talked about it, and we talked about some of the problems with it. And by the way, um, we—I say we—mostly I um, got things a bit wrong, and I went back and 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 and, re- and listened to the podcast, and. And I think we were, we were off just a bit on a point, which is uh, Professor Hill and I both used the term a couple of times that to amend the Indiana Constitution, uh, the resolution has to pass both houses of the Indiana General Assembly, the House and the Senate, we said in two sessions, or two separate sessions, and we kept using the term sessions which would imply that if it passed this year and then uh, passed again next year in the 2024 session, given the terminology we were using, then it would then go out uh, to be voted upon by the public at large, really as a referendum in the in the next general election. Uh, and that was wrong. And uh, my friend Jerry Torr, uh, rep- state representative, chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the House, uh, gave me a very friendly nudge as, as he said, as he is, is prone to do. And, and Jerry, for listening, don't ever stop doing that because uh, if I misstate something on process or legis- the legislative uh, uh, process we have here in Indiana, uh, the rules in the General Assembly, then uh, Jerry does a great job of very gently and kindly <laughs> bringing me back around and giving me the correct information. And the correct information actually is. And I talked to Professor Hill about this after the show. Um, and he also didn't realize that, that he and I were misspeaking. It takes, it takes a, a constitutional amendment, uh, takes being passed in two different general assemblies, meaning we'd have to have another election first. It's not session of the general assembly. It has to be passed by two separate general assemblies. So we'd have to go through another round of elections, and only then, if, if the same resolution passed in that, General Assembly would it then be put out to a public vote, but more substantively. And by the way, whenever I I find that I've I've misspoken in some way or I've got something wrong, I always want to make sure I get the correct information out there. And thanks so much uh, to Representative uh, Chairman Jerry Tor for 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 helping me along those lines. But more substantively, the, you know, there are some real issues with this constitutional amendment because what it does is. It takes the current language of the Indiana Constitution, where it says that bail shall be available. It says, in all cases, except those involving treason and murder. In all other cases, other than treason or murder, bond or bail shall be available. And what Senate Joint Resolution 1 does, which, by the way, has already sailed through the Senate, and it's now being discussed... In the House, in fact, there it, it was a hearing uh, last Wednesday in the House, I believe, Courts and Criminal Code Committee, um, where where some concerns were raised, and a lot of the concerns that were raised were exactly the same concerns that Professor Hill and I discussed on my show, which is the amendment would say not only in cases of murder or treason, or where the accused poses a substantial risk to another person or the community. Substantial risk. What does that mean exactly? Substantial. And, and, and doesn't that mean whatever a judge wants it to mean? And and could we end up having bail or bond denied in a whole host of cases where it really shouldn't have been? And substantial risk to the community. I mean, I've heard people voice concerns to say, um, a judge who simply hates the Second Amendment could say, well, gosh, this person's a gun owner. And, 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 and we understand they, they possess an arsenal, I hear that term all the time. You have an arsenal, of, I don't know what it takes to have an arsenal. Uh, I own a fair number of guns. I'm sure there are people out there that would, would call what I own an arsenal. Well, that obviously I pose a substantial risk to the community if I have an arsenal in my home, uh, quote unquote. Um, and, 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 and look, is that a little bit of paranoia? Yeah, Maybe. But that's the danger when you write something that's so amorphous and so vague. And in fact, there are constitutional requirements that any criminal statute itself be so clear and and understandable that a, a common citizen can read it and understand what's legal and what's not legal. Well, it seems to me we're proposing a constitutional amendment that is, in and of itself is so vague that it could be interpreted to mean a variety of different things. And listen... When you go through the authors and the sponsors of this, these are good people, and, 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 and they're trying to respond to a legitimate concern. That's why I don't want to be a hypocrite on this, because listen, on this show and on the Hammer and Nigel show repeatedly, especially when I come in and do Monday, gun day at 335 every Monday afternoon, we talk all the time about we have this revolving door of the criminal justice system. And too many violent, dangerous criminals and violent, dangerous, repeat offenders keep getting bonded out and kicked right back out onto the street. And while they're out on some ridiculously low bail, they, they're out committing more murders or going after the witnesses against them. And it, and it just perpetuates itself. And that's a legitimate concern, and I've been very vocal about that. I've had uh, my good friend, FOP President Rick Snyder, you know, on my show, he's been on Hammer and Nigel when I've co-hosted or 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 been in for Monday Gunday, and he says exactly the same thing, and he's right, and it's a legitimate concern. But is this the right fix? That see, that's the issue. And a lot of times when we have a really good motivation, we have a solid reason for doing something. Somebody slaps something down on a piece of paper and we look at it and we say, Yeah, there you go. That addresses that very legitimate concern that the community has that, that law uh, that lawmakers ought to be addressing. But not often do we say, all right, the good thing here is that more really violent people will be kept in jail. What's the flip side of that? What's the potential downside? How could this be potentially uh, misinterpreted or misused? you know how could people who don't deserve to have this, directed at them and and, and, and the, where they end up not having bond or bail available to them um, when when but for this constitutional amendment that wouldn't happen the good news is that uh, as I understand it and we'll have Kelly from Avon good friend Kelly was there and 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 he uh, attended that hearing I had to be in court on Wednesday and so I was going to be there to express my concerns but here after this break we'll have Kelly on who will report uh, on what happened at that hearing and as I understand it, there was an amendment proposed that would directly responds to, and I'm not taking credit for why this happened by any means, but some of the same concerns that we talked about right here on this program and that uh, Professor Hill and I talked about specifically on this program, those exact same concerns were voiced by committee members I would like to think, my ego would like for me to think they heard those concerns here on the Gun Guys show. I do not know that that's the case, and I won't slap myself on the back quite yet. But some of the same concerns clearly were voiced by committee members and by people who testified. and An amendment, as I understand it, was proposed that would deal with some of the ambiguity that a lot of us have so much concern about. So we'll get into that, and we'll have Kelly on here in just a bit. Uh, right now we're taking a break. Give us a call. Join the discussion, 317 317- 239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC.
2: He's a Second Amendment attorney. He's an NRA certified firearms instructor. He's the Gun Guy. Guy Relford on 93 WYPC.
1: And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And I mentioned uh, my friend Kelly, uh, you know him uh, on uh, INGO, the Indiana Gun Owners uh, Forum, as Kelly and Avon. But Kelly uh, routinely uh, shows up, man. I mean, he's a proud member of the 2A Project, and I'm proud to have him. Uh, But he shows up when uh, there are gun-related or self-defense-related issues uh, or constitutional issues, just things of interest. Uh, Kelly shows up. He testifies. Um, and he always has incredibly important information, usually including some really excellent uh, statistics that bear directly on whatever issue uh, might be discussing. But Kelly, welcome uh, back to the Gun Guy Show, man! Thanks for calling.
5: Hey, guys! Thanks for having me on.
1: So you and I talked about SJR one, that Senate Joint Resolution one, which is this constitutional amendment that would allow uh, judges to deny any bail whatsoever at any amount. Uh, simply because someone poses, in their view, a substantial risk to the community. And those, those words, to me, are so vague uh, that they really create a lot of problems. And, and from uh, a, a constitutionalist standpoint, I'm not sure that's consistent uh, with due process um, or, or consistent with other constitutional protections uh, through the uh, criminal justice system, um, recognizing it's an attempt to respond to a legitimate concern which is violent criminals getting spit right back out onto the street. Um, this was up for a vote after having sailed through the Senate and without having, I think, much scrutiny. Um, it looks like the brakes may have gotten pumped a little bit in the House, but you were at the hearing last Wednesday, and uh, tell us what happened there.
5: Oh, uh, sure was, Guy, and I'm, I'm glad you and uh, Professor Hill were on last week and you expressed your concerns about how vague it was. I mean, it was definitely not on my radar until then, and I did a little bit of research, and I said, oh, wow, that is vague. And so I put – I had a good three-and-a-half, four minutes of material put together and uh, was was down there, and I won't go into the four bills we had to sit through to get to this one. That was yeah, kind of painful.
1: That's part of the process, and not it? You, we, we, we've been down that road before.
5: Yeah. Now, it wasn't as bad as the racehorses on steroids bill we sat through, but it was pretty close. <laughs> that's right. And then uh, – so I'm sitting there. We get to it. Uh, Senator Koch was up there, or Cook, excuse me, was yeah. uh, talking about it. And um, I had, you know, where my concerns were, because uh, murder and treason, we know what that means. Sure. And whoever wrote treason into the Indiana Constitution, they were they were reading the U.S. Constitution because it was almost word for word. Yeah. And then I'm saying, uh, when I was going to get down to the end, I was going to say, this only adds 21 words, add a few more. Make, and it was to make it more specific, you know, um, in, individual with a violent criminal history or presenting imminent risk to personal injury to others, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then while uh, Senator Cook is talking, he says, I'm also proposing this amendment. And um, and of course, I don't hadn't read it because this was all new to me. And I, I'm going to pull it pulled up on the screen now. An offense other than murder or treason shall not be bailable if the state proves by clear and convincing evidence that no release conditions will reasonably protect the safety of any other person or the community. And so while I'm sitting there, I'm looking at my notes. I'm saying, gee, that's pretty close to what uh, (laughs) I'm recommending that they say. And about 10 seconds later, uh, Wendy McNamara, the chair, says, uh, calls my name. I'm like, oh, well, gee, thanks, Wendy. (laughs) Yeah and so what uh, i got up there and i said well i'm gonna i had signed up to oppose this and i'm going to save you all some time and skip down to this part of it and i kind of went over this is what i recommended and sounds an awful lot like what senator cook just said so what uh, it did alleviate a lot of, a lot of my concerns on it and uh, if, if you remember when craig haggard's bill was in her committee yeah she called me after you i i love going uh Following lawyers that talk about Second Amendment for a living, that's always fun. That's
0: always <laughs> <hard. laughs> well. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: Okay, well, Kelly, I'm glad you're there. And um, the amendment sounds like a substantial improvement um but the good news is is if it gets amended in the house which and apparently they voted on the amendment and they they voted to adopt the amendment correct
5: oh it is in it's showing in the latest version it is not showing as as uh, well, hang on here i probably clicked the wrong thing uh no it doesn't show as a house amendment it is right in the latest version of the bill that is uh right at the end and it's it's one i like it's it's very short it's easy to read
1: okay well it sounds like then i mean they did they did have a vote while you were there at the hearing right on the amendment
5: uh correct it was um the uh the uh, joint resolution and then they did it with with the amendment all at once okay so the vote well, good. was because so, yeah because
1: i mean yeah and we're saying the same thing and kelly thanks for being there and thanks for calling um, and, uh, and, and we're lucky uh, that you were there, and, and I'm glad you were. But, um, yeah, the way it works is when an amendment gets proposed in a committee, a couple of different times a bill can be amended. A bill can be amended uh, in committee. Uh, this is after it's filed, where um, uh, uh, anyone essentially can propose an amendment. And a lot of times they do it through a committee member, or committee members themselves can propose their own amendments, then the committee votes to either accept or reject the amendment. And then, if they accept the amendment, then they vote to advance the bill or not, that is, recommend it back to the floor of the House or Senate to then be voted on. Then it goes for what's called a second reading, when it gets out of committee, if it passes out of committee. And then members of that House, of, of that chamber, can propose amendments as well. And before the, the bill is voted on, those amendments have to be dealt with. And in fact, it can be um, kind of an underhanded uh, uh, strategy, is the word I was looking for. Um, if you want to kill a bill, you just propose about 20 different amendments to it. And you can make the process of getting it passed on second reading so distasteful, especially when the, when the, uh, the chamber we're dealing with doesn't have a lot of time. They're, they got a really packed agenda. And leaders can simply decide not to call a bill because they don't want to fight through all the amendments. Others, when it's important and a priority, then one's, we'll okay, all right, let's fight through them. We'll discuss them. We'll debate them. We'll vote them one at a time. All the amendments get defeated, uh, and then it goes to the floor uh, and, and is voted on. Then, once we get through the amendment process, it comes back for a third reading, and the final bill is then voted on in that chamber. If, the, if that chamber changes a bill from what they receive from the other chamber. In other words, this SJR 1, this proposed constitutional amendment, already passed the Senate in its original version. Then it comes over to the House. If the House passes a different version, then it has to go to what we call a conference committee. And that committee then has representatives from the Senate, representatives from the House, Um, Those representatives can be replaced. They start off typically with members of each party. If it's a contentious issue, uh, along partisan lines, uh, participants in the committee can be replaced. But they then vote, well, they debate and discuss what version or compromise version of the bill passed by each chamber, what it should look like going forward. Then the amended bill as it comes out, gets voted on, and has to have passed each chamber. Yeah, if it doesn't doesn't change at all from what came out of the the committee it just got amended in, my understanding at that point, I may get corrected on this, is it just goes to the other House who then has to pass it, if if, if that House has already passed that particular, if that chamber, I should say, has already passed that particular version. But at any rate, that's where we are on this. So... The fact that this, the House, and I applaud them for this, pumped the brakes and said, let's add some specificity to this. Doesn't mean that that's going to be the final version of the bill, it just means that since it's different from what passed the Senate, it'll now go to a conference committee and they'll debate it. And I like that, I like that this part of the process. I like the fact that a House can say no time out, or the Senate can if they're reconsidering something that, ha- that passed on the other side and say, let's improve this, let's make this better, especially when we're talking about the Constitution of the state of Indiana. Uh, That ought to be a pristine document. There shouldn't be anything in that that we look at and go, oof, that's so vague. It can affect people's rights and pre-existing constitutional rights um, in a way that uh, we didn't want or predict because of some vague and uh, amorphous uh, a poorly defined terminology, which is, I think, what we were dealing with originally. That's not to impugn anybody's motives. Everybody's trying to be tough on violent criminals and and, and solve this problem of the revolving door of the criminal justice system. So again, I do not want to be a hypocrite on that issue because I've been singing that tune with a lot of other people in this town for a long time. And I, I don't want to be accused of talking out of both sides of my mouth. But when we sh- when we fix a legitimate problem, Let's do it in the smartest possible way. I think we're a little closer to that right now with what the House did with this amendment. So I applaud uh, Representative Cook uh, and others who were in there uh, on this process. It would be Senator there, excuse me. Uh, In the meantime, uh, we're uh, at the bottom of the hour. We're going to take a break, come back, and we're talking about pistol braces a little bit. Where are we? We've had some developments on that point. This is something that impacts millions and millions of gun owners. The Gun Owners of America came out and said there are 40 million pistol stabilizer braces that gun owners are using in Indiana. I think it's probably closer to about 10% of that, but it's still millions and millions of people, including a lot of people right here in Indiana. And uh, there's some bad news on that front, including a a judicial development uh, that uh, people ought to be concerned about and know about, and that's what we'll get into when we come back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC.
2: Second to none on the Second Amendment This is The Gun Guy with Guy Ralford On 93 WIBC
1: And welcome back I'm Guy Ralford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC i tell you what We've had Chuck on hold for quite a while And so before we go into the pistol brace issue uh, Chuck, welcome to The Gun Guy Show Hi guys. Hey man. Yeah, what you got? Uh
3: this last Wednesday I was listening to Hammer and Nigel and Tony Kent was on and he started talking about the nineteen ninety four assault weapons ban. And he
5: said repeatedly that it was repealed and he said specifically by Republicans. Now I'm getting old and my brain's getting mushy, but that's not the
3: way I remember that working. <laughs> so who who deserves the correction here? Me
1: or Tony? Uh, yeah, I didn't hear that, um, and uh, and I like Tony. I've got a lot of respect for him, but he, he didn't get that quite right, and that is uh, it was never repealed. Uh, the so-called assault weapon ban of 94 uh, existed on the books here in this country from 94 to 04 Um, But it it wasn't repealed, but it's no longer in effect. So you might be confused about how that can be. Well, that's because the original law, when passed, had its own sunset provision in it. And it said unless um, continued by Congress, then it simply expires in 04 after 10 years on the books. And so what happened is... uh, Congress uh, commissioned uh, a very very thorough research project by a group called the National Institute of Justice which is the research arm of the Department of Justice and the National Institute of Justice uh, looked into what effect the assault weapons ban had from 94 to 04 and, you know, you hear, you hear President Biden and you hear other folks uh, out there uh, saying, oh, well, you know, we passed this assault weapon ban and we saved lives and, you know, and we saved school children's lives and we, uh, you know, reduced uh, violent crime and we uh, reduced murders. Now they have all these claims. Well, according to the National Institute of Justice, and this is a government report, right? This isn't coming from the NRA or the 2A Project or Gun Owners of America, this is coming right out of the U.S. government and the research arm of the Department of Justice. And they said, because so-called assault weapons have such an incredibly small impact and are involved in such incredibly few number of murders on a percentage basis, that were the assault weapons ban to be continued, the, the effects would likely be, quote-unquote, too small to measure. Because under 2%, right around 1.5% of murders in this country are committed with anything that liberal politicians would call an assault weapon. And again, you can go through all, all the different numbers, and it varies a little year to year, but in most years, Blunt objects like hands, fists, and feet. Oh no, I'm I'm mixing a couple of categories. Personal weapons like hands, fists, and feet. Kill two or three times the number of people that all rifles, including as a subcategory, so-called assault rifles, kill. Blunt objects like baseball bats and tubafores. Kill four to six times as many. Again, it varies a little year to year. But in a typical year, it's like 4X. All rifles, not just assault weapons, all rifles. And edged weapons, knives, other sharp objects, six times in a typical year, the number of all rifles. So this is all consistent. So the National Institute of Justice said to Congress, if you were to extend this beyond its expiration date, the effect would likely be too small to measure. So they said, okay, we tried it. It had no impact. All we did was influence or impact the rights of law-abiding citizens to own the firearms of their choice that have the features of their choice that are very, very well suited for any number of legal uses like home defense, yes, hunting, and I would like to say the other lawful purposes, which is defending the country against a tyrannical government, which is completely consistent with the Second Amendment to begin with. And so that's why it simply wasn't extended. So Congress didn't have to do anything to repeal it. And you can't blame it on Republicans or Democrats because, in general, it wasn't extended, and and it was simply allowed to die, uh, which we're all glad it did. And we'll fight like hell uh, to have it be resurre- To have it not be resurrected. And by the way, I mean, it's, well, there there've been new assault weapons bans passed every year. Um, in in usually typically in the house they die in the senate we had one passed last session of, the, of of congress but they haven't gotten all the way through and i'm still hoping they wouldn't and one thing that's different today than existed from 94 to 04 is today we have a couple of supreme court decisions one is heller versus dc it's actually dc versus heller from 2008 It says that those firearms that are commonly used for lawful purposes are protected by the Second Amendment. Now, that case was about handguns. But what's the most commonly owned rifle in America? The AR-15. Well, if it's the most commonly owned rifle in America, but yet still only contributes to like 1.5% of murders, then by definition, isn't it lawfully possessed? by U.S. citizens for lawful purposes. Well, of course, by definition. Now, the Supreme Court decision in Heller was limited to handguns, but that definition it came up with of lawfully possessed by commonly possessed, I should say, for lawful purposes uh, couldn't fit better with the AR-15 or other so-called assault weapons. The other thing we have is we have the Bruin case, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, which just came out last year. Now that dealt with New York's licensing statute that said, no, you can't have a license to carry unless you have some particularized need. Like someone's actively trying to kill you, only then do you get a handgun license. And the Supreme Court struck that down, so you say, okay, well that's nice for New York, so what? Well, in striking it down, The Supreme Court said the test for determining what's constitutional and what's not under the Second Amendment no longer involves this sort of balancing test the courts were using all across the country that said something like, well, if there's a compelling governmental interest, like keeping people safe, then you can infringe a little bit or even quite a bit as long as you're not impacting a core privilege, a core right defined in a constitutional freedom or part of the Bill of Rights. But there was this balancing test. So courts were using that all across the country. Liberal courts were using it all across the country. Say, well, an assault weapon ban keeps people safe. And that's a compelling governmental interest. So if it's a little bit of infringement, eh, no problem. Bruin changed all that. There is no balancing anymore. Now it's based simply on the text, history, and tradition Associated with that constitutional freedom. What does it say? What's the historical way it's been interpreted and applied in the in the in, in the US? And the fact that assault weapon bans, quote unquote, are an incredibly recent invention from liberal liberal governments makes me very optimistic, very, very, very optimistic that this court or any Supreme Court without dramatically changing the laws on the books today, that is, their interpretation of the law, and changing the Bruin decision, and changing the Heller decision, that this court or any court applying the law as it exists today, including the Heller and Bruin decisions, would strike down an assault up and down. No doubt in my mind. Justice Kavanaugh wrote a dissenting opinion when he was still on the DC Circuit that said exactly that. They're commonly used for lawful purposes can't ban AR-15s or or other firearms that, again, people who hate your constitutional rights call, quote-unquote, assault weapons. But that's where we are. That's what happened in 04. So, and again, I didn't hear Tony's segment. I'll, I'll, I'll take you at your word. But he didn't quite get that right because it actually wasn't appealed, wasn't repealed. It just simply wasn't extended. I'll tell you what, we're taking a break. We'll be back for the last segment. And I will get into what happened on the pistol stabilizer brace issue here just this last week, which unfortunately is not good news for gun owners or folks that are hoping that uh, the courts overturn what the ATF has done on pistol braces. But we'll get into that when we come back. Uh, We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 W.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. IBC.
2: Your rights, your responsibilities, your guns. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIPC.
1: And welcome back for the last segment here of the Gun Guy Show. Thanks so much for the folks who uh, tuned in and watched the video broadcast. We kind of played around with that a little bit, changed the camera angle and the lighting. Looks a little better, Um, which is not to say I'm much to look at, but uh, folks uh, are are watching that. We're glad you did uh, and have throughout the show. And uh, thanks for the comments you've left there as well. the pistol stabilizer brace, what's going on here? If that's not an issue you're familiar with, uh, that probably means you're not a frequent listener of the gun guy show. Um, but a pistol stabilizer brace was, was originally designed to go on a pistol. And, and keep in mind that uh, a, a pistol, a firearm designed to be fired principally by one hand. Um, if it's a pistol, then you don't have to register it as a short barreled rifle. Because if you have a rifle, which is a firearm designed to be fired from the shoulder, and it has a barrel less than 16 inches, that has to be registered under the National Firearms Act. You have to pay for your tax stamp. um, You have to go through another background check, and that's in order to have a short-barreled rifle, just like you do with a suppressor or short-barreled shotgun uh, or a machine gun and some other firearms as well that are regulated by the NFA. So, if it's a pistol that is designed to be fired with one hand, it's not desired to be fired designed to be fired from the shoulder, and it's got a short barrel. You don't have to register it as an SBR. The pistol stabilizer brace came out, and it's an attachment to a pistol, and it actually has a device that straps around your forearm. and as, And it just, as the name suggests, pistol stabilizer brace. It's a brace design to allow more people to fire a handgun with one hand and be stable and therefore accurate in the process. And it was particularly nice for disabled folks who may only have one working hand or one working arm. And they could shoot more guns, bigger guns, heavier guns with one hand with a pistol stabilizer brace. Well, then what happened is people sent that in because you can take that brace and set it against your shoulder and use it like a shoulder stock question became, well, does this mean that it's a short-barreled rifle because now it's designed to be fired from the shoulder? And ATF in 2012 came out and said, no, no, it's good. You put a brace on your pistol, it remains a pistol. So a lot of people came out and started making more and more of these things. ATF subsequently came out and said, and they went back and forth on this a couple of times, but they ultimately said, no, even if you use it, as a shoulder stock. Just sort of incidentally, from time to time, that doesn't change the design of the firearm. It's still a pistol. Well, now, people were off and running. And people started manufacturing a whole bunch of these things. People started buying a whole bunch of them. In fact, people would tell you you were nuts to go out and register a short-barreled rifle, because all you had to do was just put a brace on it instead of a shoulder stock and still use it like a shoulder stock, and you could save the 200 bucks and save the registration process. Well, as I predicted all along, I never trusted the ATF on this because I said, you know what, we're seeing too many of these. People think it's an easy workaround, the NFA. And I I don't even own a pistol brace. I SBR'd everything that I have because I want to put a real stock on my firearm so I can use them as they're intended, which is a rifle. So fine, I register them as SBRs. ATF came out here at the end of, of last year. It became final in January. It said, nope. now if you got a brace on your pistol, you've turned it into a rifle and you have to register it. And it was more complex than that. It's like a, it's a final rule that went through ru- the rulemaking process, but it's it's a final rule now. There's a grace period, 120 days, which ends the end of May. It says you got to register them now as SBRs, or you got to turn it back into a pistol, or you need to put a 16-inch barrel on it or longer. Well, people have been saying okay, well, it's going to get overturned in the courts. The ATF can't just change the law. Only Congress can change the law, so it's going to get get overturned by the courts any minute. And a lot of folks have said, well, I'm not going to register anything or I'm not going to take the brace off my pistol because the courts are going to overturn this any time. And I went out on social media and I repeatedly said, don't be so sure. This is different. Why? Because ATF didn't change the words of Congress in terms of defining what's a pistol and what's a rifle. What they changed is their interpretation of what devices turn a pistol into a rifle under the definitions created by Congress. They're changing their interpretation. That's what government agencies do. And they can pass regulations that tell people, hey, here's how we're interpreting this. doesn't mean they're necessarily right. doesn't mean somebody couldn't still win that case in court. But it's going to affect who gets arrested and who gets prosecuted. Well, a court in the Northern District of Texas, which is a conservative jurisdiction, a lot of people were optimistic about how this was going to go. It was a lawsuit filed uh, by the Firearms Policy Coalition and others. They asked for a preliminary injunction to say strike this thing down just this week, two days ago. The court came out and denied that, saying no, the agency had every authority to do exactly what it did. This is not good news. It's just one court, but it doesn't bode well. In the meantime, that brings us to the end of our show. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you come back next week. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC.